0: It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control the discussion today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino, author of Go Bills and Buffalo's Run, also the co-host of the On NFL Scouting Podcast, and I'm your host of On Bills. want to thank you for making Lockdown Bills your first listen every day, and a big welcome and shout out to our everydayers. You know who you are. Those of you who never miss a single episode, I appreciate y'all being here very, very much. I'd also like to invite you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube, Or wherever you listen to podcasts, we're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. Well, folks, we've got some great herd mentality items lined up for today on the podcast. Let's get right into it. We'll start with this one from Bobby. Bobby says, with Gabe Davis being on a contract year, is it possible Buffalo franchise tags him? And if so, what kind of figure is that going to look like for him with what he has proven in the NFL so far? So no matter what you feel about Gabriel Davis, the Bills are not in position to franchise tag him because the 2024 projected amount for a wide receiver franchise tag is $22.9 million. That's a hard, basically $23 million against your salary cap. And that's just not going to happen. Not only is that probably close to double, what Gabe Davis is worth in terms of an average annual cost, but you're just not going to have a hard cap commitment of basically $23 million for Gabe Davis. And so I would dismiss any idea that Gabe Davis is a franchise tag candidate next offseason. The next one comes from Kyle. And folks, I think the next three questions come from Somebody by the name of Kyle, but it's three different Kyles. So this is the Kyle section of (laughs) herd mentality. Uh, This Kyle says, I saw on Twitter last week that you had some praise for Jordan Rodriguez podcast series, the play callers. I just finished it and it was fantastic. I was just wondering if you had any bill specific takeaways from the series. Great question, Kyle. And appreciate the opportunity to talk about play callers, which is an outstanding and I mean outstanding, just rare, incredible content from Jordan Rodrigue on the Athletic uh, Football Podcast feed, and it's a series called Play Callers, which really dives into the Kyle Shanahan coaching tree, or really I guess the Mike Shanahan coaching tree, however you want to spin it. But it's this group of of coaches, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, uh, Mike McDaniel, Brandon Staley, Matt LaFleur. All these guys that were together in Washington during that like r g three um run when he was with Washington, and then all these guys were on staff and they've since all kind of broke out and they're now head coaches and coordinators throughout the NFL and they're really populating the NFL and this shanahan tree um, in a lot of ways is setting the tone for modern NFL offensive football. and then you even see some of the defensive influence here with, Brandon Staley and Vic Fangio kind of being uh, names brought up in this discussion throughout the podcast series. And you can listen to this and you can find yourself thinking, wow, these guys are so smart. These guys are incredible. You know, they're setting the tone. They're trendsetters. And you feel like you just have to have one of these guys if you're going to play winning football in the NFL because they are just setting trends. And I have a lot of respect for this coaching tree, and I like pretty much all of these coaches. So don't get me wrong about that. But when you ask me for the Bills' specific takeaways, I thought a lot about how much success Sean McDermott and the Buffalo Bills have had against this coaching tree. I mean, it's very lopsided in favor of Sean McDermott. Let's look at it. So Kyle Shanahan, kind of the crown jewel of this podcast series. The Bills have only faced the 49ers once, and the Bills beat them in 2020. In fact, they clowned the 49ers 34-24. to 24 um, and oh, by the way, Robert Sala was the defensive coordinator for the 49ers in that game. So 1-0 against Kyle Shanahan. Then you get to Robert Sala as the head coach of the Jets. Sean McDermott is 3-1 against Robert Sala. And the Bills have outscored the Jets in those four games, 109-59. Of course, the one loss being that weird Zach Wilson start from last year. But 3-1 against Robert Sala. Then you get to Sean McVay. The Bills, Sean McDermott is 2-0 against Sean McVay. Uh, the 2020 heroic comeback uh, against the Rams early in the season. And then last season, 2022, the opening game. And remember, the Rams are the defending Super Bowl champions. They hung the banner. We heard all about how Sean McVay has never lost an opener. He's got a whole year to prepare for the Bills. While the Bills clowned them in their own stadium to open up the NFL season. So 2-0 and against Sean McVay. You get to Mike McDaniel, just one year of play. But we saw three games last year with him and the Dolphins. The Bills were two and one against uh, Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins last year. I thought the Bills um, had some some more dominant uh, box scores than maybe what some of the scores of those games indicated. I know that Miami certainly played the Bills a lot tougher than they ever have in recent history, but the Bills still two and one against Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins last year. Brandon Stanley, the Bills are one and zero oh against him. Uh, that one game against the Chargers uh coming off the bye a couple of years ago, and then you know Brandon Staley. If you count him during his time as the Rams' defensive coordinator, the Bills are two and zero against him. Vic Fangio, the Bills are two and zero against Vic Fangio. Forty-eight to nineteen win in twenty twenty, and twenty to three in twenty nineteen. And then Matt Lafleur, we saw the one game against the Packers last year, Sunday Night Football. The Bills took care of the Packers, and so Sean McDermott's McDerm- combined record against this coaching tree that was celebrated in this podcast series is 12 and two 12 2. so for as awesome as those guys seem to be and i and they are sean mcdermott 12 and two next one here comes from a different kyle and this different kyle says i've been watching the quarterback series on netflix and whenever the show turns to cousins and mahomes specifically regarding their training and recovery methods i always think of the comments you make about the questions you have regarding josh allen specifically how you worry about his diet, and hidden off-the-field training and recovery methods he has in and out of season. Josh wouldn't be who he is if he wasn't committed, but I was curious if you also watched the show and if you wondered if Josh was going to the same lengths to maximize his production and longevity as other quarterbacks. Kyle, absolutely. It's been a thought on my mind all week as I've watched The quarterback series on Netflix, as I've heard, I've said for years, like this isn't a new thing that I brought up. I've said for years that I'm concerned about Josh Allen, his diet, his training program, and his recovery program. It's been a big topic of conversation that I brought up several times on this podcast. And certainly on the heels of me saying that, and then Josh Allen going on the Bustin' with the Boys podcast and talking about his diet and recovery and training program. Uh, And then you see this from Mahomes and Cousins, and you feel like it's not adding up here. You know, Josh Allen, in his offseason process, he's basically, not basically, he he said on that podcast, busting with the Boys, that his primary focus is rest, golf, and he eats lots of fast food and has lots of expensive whiskey right at his house and loves to drink, right? So rest, golf, fast food, drinking. I'm not saying you can't do that stuff, like enjoy your life. I'm not telling you what to do. And obviously Josh Allen's had a lot of success and everybody's got to find what works for them, but it doesn't, it doesn't match up with the way that I would attack things. And it doesn't match up with what it appears other top quarterbacks are doing. I mean, you're watching Patrick Mahomes working on his, uh, the strength in his, in his spine, developing thoracic mobility, making sure that he can, have the same throwing power, rolling to his right, to his left. He's within 3%. Most people are 20% in terms of balanced power, right and left. And the only thing we get from Josh Allen is that he's playing a lot of golf, getting a lot of rest, and certainly not taking his diet seriously. I mean, you listen to the conversation, listen to it. You hear him say, you know, whenever I got to get to uh, my playing way to just eat a little less. And he talks about how he doesn't want his strength coaches to hear this, but the last two years, all he's done is rest, and he's had the best conditioning scores he's ever had. What, Josh, whatever works for you, like, do it. But until you win the Super Bowl with the Buffalo Bills, these types of details are going to concern us, and they should. Because you got the guy that's won two Super Bowls and then to, like, six consecutive AFC championship games doing all that he's doing, and it doesn't feel like you're measuring up. And maybe this is harsh. Maybe this is critical. I love Josh Allen. I wouldn't trade him for any quarterback in the world. But man, you feel like maybe he's not doing everything that he possibly can to maximize his opportunity to win a Super Bowl for the Buffalo Bills. And again, he's been successful. Obviously, a lot is going right. He's got to do what works for him. He talked about how he plays the game differently. I get that rest. Certainly should be a part of what he does. But I'm not feeling like It's measuring up well when you consider what a guy like Patrick Mahomes is doing to get himself ready for a season and and how he approaches being the quarterback for his football team. And I'm not saying it's not important to Josh. Like, don't spin this wrong. I'm not saying it's not important to Josh. I'm not saying that he's not doing what he feels is the best thing to do. You heard him say he's never been more focused on football in his life. He said that a few months ago. But I can't help but – Find myself comparing the approach and feeling underwhelmed with what's going on with Josh Allen. Now, to Josh's credit, he's been the most durable quarterback in the NFL. Nobody has started more games in a row than Josh Allen. And obviously, he's played at a very high level. So there's a lot to consider. But it doesn't seem like he's doing what Mahomes is doing. All right, folks, we got a bunch more to get to here. But first, to tell you about FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet $20 and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's $200 that you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run. All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's fanduel.com slash locked on, FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, folks, the next one here from a different Kyle. This Kyle says a few years ago on the podcast, you talked about the Bills uniform being close to elite, aside from the stripe widening. As it moves along the back of the helmet, I was curious what your top five team uniforms are, and even more curious about your bottom five. Appreciate this question, Kyle. Uh, one thing that I probably maybe I have, I don't know, I care a lot about football aesthetics. I love uniforms, color combinations, what fields look like. I'm a big I'm a big uh critic, I guess. I'm a big fan of football aesthetics. So my favorite uniforms are my least favorite uniforms. My favorites are the Bills. I think the Bills are one of the best five uniforms for sure uh, in the NFL. Also in my favorites, and this is not in any order, the Chargers, 49ers, Raiders, and Cowboys. Uh, Chargers, that color combination is incredible with how they put it together. Clean look, vibrant, just an awesome, awesome situation there. 49ers, Raiders, Cowboys, those are just very iconic, classic um, brands. They're classic logos there's something that I feel when I see those logos and those uniforms and um, just how iconic they appear to me and I, I lean into that they're clean they're iconic and I, I'm not sure what more you can ask for out of a uniform my least favorite and I'll tell you what some of these teams have really cleaned things up quite a bit uh, because the Buccaneers were a team that were easy to put on this and they have fixed it um, the Cardinals will see that they they were horrible and, and they've upgraded their uniforms. They're better. I'm not sure they're great. We'll see. Um, but it, you know, there's some teams on here that have cleaned things up that have made things better. But my bottom five NFL uniforms right now, and very clearly at the bottom is the Tennessee Titans an absolutely atrocious uniform, a uh, weird panels throughout. You got two toned swords on the side of your uh, Jersey right there on the, on like the shoulder sleeves, um, thin numbers, just weird stripes that are, Widening and come to points everywhere. Just terrible. Just an absolutely terrible uniform. Uh the commanders are, are pretty bad. Um, they're better than I thought, but I don't like gradient uh designs on uniforms, and I don't like panels. And I think you kind of get and their logos bad, just a W. I mean, come on now. It's 2023. It's like we got a, a W? Boring. Uh the Browns, they're brown and orange. I'm sorry. That there's just not much you can do with that. Brown and orange. No, thanks for me. The Ravens, purple and black, it just doesn't work for me. I, you know, like, I think they try. I think they're unique in some ways, but purple and black, I think is just a terrible combination for an NFL uniform. And then the Rams, I mean, the Rams have weird patches throughout their uniforms. Um, Their, their, the Ram horn on their helmet is segmented. I don't like that. Um, Their numbers are goofy looking to me. And like, it feels like there's like parts of their stitching that is like elevated from the surface it just bugs me i don't know i don't think they look very good um so bottom bottom 5 titans commanders browns ravens and rams so there you have my my favorite and least favorite uniforms in the nfl michael uh michael has a question here and this question is kind of a follow up to last episode of herd mentality where i offered my favorite plays of the Sean McDermott era, and Michael's follow-up is, "How about your favorite sound bites of the Sean McDermott era?" And Michael shared shared his favorite, which was um, Micah Hyde saying, "I'm not going to apologize for winning games." It's a good choice. Uh, my three, um, and it's hard to really be mindful of the entire of inventory, but these are three that stood out to me when I considered this. Uh, number one is from Sean McDermott himself after that Monday night football loss to the New England Patriots. Um, And that was the hurricane game where the Patriots called like over 60 runs, only threw the ball three times. Uh, Damian Harris actually ripped off a long touchdown run and and the Patriots won the game in Buffalo. And it was one of the most ridiculous responses to a football game that I've ever seen. There's like actually good NFL analysts that were tweeting that, Bill Belichick's game plan was the greatest game plan in in football history. Just absolutely ridiculous. And Sean was asked after the game about Belichick and the game plan and all that. And Sean McDermott said something that I'll never forget. He said, let's not give Bill too much credit. And I love that. I thought that showed a pettiness about him. Um, And like, look, let's be honest. There were some really weird dynamics in this game. They ripped off a long run. We had multiple missed uh, touchdown catches, like it was a goofy game. Let's not give Bill too much credit. And I love that that little bit of pettiness from coach. Uh, next one is from Deion Dawkins because I had to include a Deion Dawkins quote uh, in this. And so I found one that he had on blocking Von Miller. And I, as somebody who played offensive tackle and defensive end in high school, I know that that's not like a, a high level of football, but I can appreciate what he's saying here. So Dion on blocking Von If I were to hit somebody, it would be a boom. When you hit Vaughn, it's more like a boom. Like, how did that not hit like it was supposed to hit? And I could appreciate what he's saying because Vaughn Miller is one of those guys that you feel like you probably get him squared up and you're going to strike and get your hands on him. But he's so twitchy and flexible and has that rare ability to contort his frame and reduce his surface area that you feel like you were going to make solid contact, and then all of a sudden like you're whiffing, and he's underneath your pads, and he's running around you. And that's a, it's a tough place to be as an offensive tackle. So I probably like this one most because I, I connect with it, and I can understand where he's coming from. And then maybe my favorite quote ever, and I'm going to try to bring this up as often as possible as we sort through Stefan Diggs' drama. Stefan Diggs said this about Josh Allen in October of 2022 on the VonCast. This is a quote from Stefan Diggs. Quote, Josh Allen really changed my career. If you got a good quarterback, you got something. I'm grateful because I've had some good quarterbacks in the past. Shout out to them. But this is that quarterback that God had for me at the end of the tunnel. Self-explanatory. Next one here comes from Tom. Tom is putting us in a little doomsday scenario. And uh, he says, it's mid-October and Josh Allen gets hurt. And is out for the rest of the season. What does this offense look like with Kyle Allen under center? What is a realistic win total? Say the Bills are four and one so far. Are the Bills a playoff team? How far could we go? I don't expect you to say Super Bowl contender or anything. Can this team win the division without Josh? For argument's sake, let's go best case scenario where all the major pieces on both sides of the ball are healthy and producing. Vaughn is back, Spencer Brown is living up to his potential, and the team is looking generally like what we hoped it would. Up to this point. All right. I don't want to live in a world where Josh Allen's not the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, but let's do the thing here. So you have the Bills at four and one. And so that would mean he gets injured in the Jacksonville game uh, in London. The next game is the Giants, Sunday night football, week six. Now, before I kind of give you some thoughts here, uh, one thing that I would like to bring up is that Sean McDermott in 2017 and in 2019 coached two different teams to the playoffs without top quarterback play with lesser rosters than what the Bills have right now. I mean, especially 2017 with Tyrod Taylor, the Bills were like bottom 3 in the NFL in passing production. Everybody thought the Bills were tanking, that team tanked their way to the playoffs. And then in 2019, and Josh Allen was a reasonable quarterback, but it was still year 2 and he was rough around the edges and still had some of those chaotic moments. And McDermott got both of those teams to the playoffs. So when I apply it to this season, the problem is this schedule is hard and it gets hard exactly when you have Josh Allen getting injured. And so that concerns me a lot. I think if you look over the rest of the season, I would project four for sure wins. For sure is probably a loose word, but Giants in week six, Tampa in week eight, Denver week 10, and New England. Uh, I think they get one of the wins against New England. So I would say there's four wins coming that I feel somewhat comfortable about. Then I have some games that I feel comfortable that the Bills will lose. Um, Bengals, Eagles, Kansas City, Dallas, the Chargers on the road at Miami. I hate all of those games without Josh Allen. So I find six losses there. That leaves two games that I thought were toss-ups at New England in week seven. And then the Jets in week 11 as toss-ups. So we'll have the Bills going one and one through those games. And so if that's the case, they go four and one, I find four more wins, I find six losses, and I find two toss-ups, that gets them to nine and eight. And nine and eight's not getting you in the playoffs in this AFC. It's too competitive. It's not winning you the AFC East either, I don't think. So I'm not I'm not optimistic about that. Now, if the, if the schedule is different, I think it's a possibility, but it's not. You have games against the Bengals, Eagles, Chiefs, Cowboys, Chargers, Dolphins, Giants, two against New England, and then the Jets as well. I mean, that's just tough. That's tough to put in Kyle Allen and say, go figure it out. I mean, I have them going five and seven in those games, but, man, that's tough. That's tough. I I don't want to live in this world, so let's get out of this world And in a quick moment after a quick break, we got some very, very compelling talking points to get into. Stick with me. I'll be right back. All right, the next one here comes from Dent. Dent says, I'm excited for Sean McDermott to take over the defensive play calling this year. That said, McDermott has been operating in CEO mode as a head coach for several years now, and there is an opportunity cost for him taking on more defensive responsibilities. Do you think there are many uh, any major areas where his new allocation of time could hurt the team, or do you believe that because the Bills' operations culture and leadership are now in such a good place that he is able to take this on more readily than he could have several years ago? Is there anything you believe we should look for during training camp or preseason to help answer this question? It's a great question, uh, Dent, and part of my comfort in Sean McDermott doing this is, well, first of all, who Sean McDermott is and how successful he's been as a defensive play caller in the NFL. So I get excited about that. But also, he's really well-supported coaching staff-wise on offense and defense. Um, on defense, guys like John Butler, um, Al Holcomb, Eric Washington, Bobby Babbage The Bills could have named any one of those guys the defensive coordinator, and I would have thought it was a good choice, right? So there's that level of coaching on the defensive side of the football, not to mention you know what you have on offense. You know, Ken Dorsey's obviously the offensive coordinator, but you still have – Mike Shula and you have uh, Aaron Cromer and Joe Brady and Rob Boris, all guys who have been coordinators in the league. And so I think that number one gives me a lot of comfort in his ability to take this on. Uh, and that's just how well he's supported with other coaching talent. Now, uh, there's other also two names that I want to point up here, uh, point to here that I think are underrated um, in what they mean to Sean McDermott and the Buffalo Bills operation. And those people are Mark Lubbock, and Matt Warswick. Let me tell you about those two guys. Mark Lubbock has been the game management coach for the Bills since 2020. And you know you think about the Bills since 2020, and they've been very progressive with their decision-making, um, fourth downs, going for it, uh, a two-point conversions, uh, timeout usage, all that type of stuff has been very good. And I think you should give credit to Mark Lubbock because that was a shift from 2019. The Bills got more aggressive, and it really worked out for them. And Mark Lubbock has been the game management coach since 2020. He's been on McDermott's staff since 2017. He comes from a family of coaches. His dad was a very good coach at Colorado State. His brother, I think, currently coaches somewhere in college football right now, maybe Nebraska. Um, And so Mark Lubbock as the game management coach and continuing to serve in that role, while Sean McDermott now is a defensive play caller, that's a huge one for us to be mindful of. The other is Matt Warswick. Uh, the director of team administration, a guy that was with Sean McDermott in Carolina in 2016 as a football operations assistant. Then he came to Buffalo in 2017. And he's been Sean McDermott's like literal assistant uh, since 2017, but he got a promotion to director of team administration in 2022. So these two guys have been big support pillars for Sean McDermott. And I think their experience and capacity, um, in addition to what the Bills have on the rest of this coaching staff gives me a lot of comfort about Sean McDermott being able to take on these responsibilities. Neil says, thanks for another offseason of Quality Bills discussion through the summer. And the linebackers' discussion from this week. I'm just wondering why you didn't talk about AJ Klein as being in contention for the middle linebacker starter. It's a great question, Neil. I appreciate that follow-up. The reason why is because it doesn't feel like he's one of the options. Whether it's the Bills beat reporters that are in attendance at the OTAs that were open to the media or Sean McDermott talking about who's in contention for it. A.J. Klein's not a name that that comes up. And I'm not sure if it was Brandon Bean or Sean McDermott, but somebody asked them about A.J. Klein. And the their response was, A.J. is here to be an asset to the room, right? And that just means to be a veteran leader for the young players. If he was in line to start, I think they would have said that. Um, and so I just don't think he's I don't think he's in that conversation. And, you know, if all three of these guys just flop, I can see the Bills turning to A.J. Klein, but I think that's pretty unlikely. So that's why I didn't bring him up. John says a more micro question I have for you is uh, regarding Justin Shorter. Some friends and I were trying to think of any player of a similar physical profile who was highly recruited coming out of high school that had better production in the pros than in college. The caveat being he was mostly healthy in his college career. We couldn't come up with any. DK Metcalf was the closest, but injuries did impact his college career. Players like Diggs, Hill, and Antonio Brown were smaller players. Can you think of an example, or should some fans bullish on shorter temper their expectations? I just view him as a special teams guy in a reserve role at wide receiver. It's a good question. And you can go through and you can find a ton of examples of big-time five-star recruits that don't really... Uh, do much in college, that go to the NFL, and we talk all about how they have all this supreme upside because of the recruiting profile, and then they just wind up being rotational players, right, at multiple positions. You see this every single year. So Justin Shorter is one of those guys this year, and he happens to be a Bills draft pick, and so we find ourselves in this place of considering if Justin Shorter can suddenly become a player he never was in college. I'm with you on this, John. Like, I, I think we always have this optimistic Outlook for draft picks and we're hopeful and Josh Justin Shorter, you know, looks like he's Adonis and he's athletic and you love all those things and you get excited about the physical profile. But in reality, he's a very underdeveloped wide receiver, right? He's not a great route runner. He's got good size and hands straight line athleticism doesn't have much agility. Um, he's got a lot of work to do. And I think when I consider Justin Shorter, I think a lot about the Jake Kumaro role where Primarily, he plays special teams, can block a little bit. Every once in a while, you di- dial up a deep shot on a vertical throw, and that's about it. And so that's where my expectations are for Justin Shorter. If you think he's going to come to the NFL and be the next DK Metcalf, I'm not saying that you think that, John, but saying hypothetically, you know, I think that's putting yourself in a position to be disappointed. And, and I think in reality, he's likely to be a depth-wide receiver that blocks, gives the team some size, and, and helps on special teams. Chris says, can you see Diggs' career ending the same way as Larry Fitzgerald, signing a few one-year deals with the Bills at the end? I think it's a possibility. We do have to keep in mind that Steph Diggs is signed through 2027, and he'll be 34 years old at the end of that. So who knows how much football Steph Diggs wants to play into his mid to late 30s if he wants to, and things things are good in terms of his relationship with the quarterback and the team then um, I'm sure the Bills will welcome him back for as long as he wants to be around. Um, but his current contract does tie him to the Bills through 2027, and there's not a lot of great opportunities to get out of the deal. No matter when it would be, the Bills would have to eat a significant amount of dead cap space. And so if he plays out this contract and he's entering his age 35 season and wants to go for another season, you know, kind of one at a time, perhaps. Um but, you know, not, that's, that's not common, right? A lot of guys don't do that, where they kind of come back and just play for one year, and then we'll see. Um, I think it's a possibility, but he is signed until he's 34 years old. Brent says, being in Michigan, a buddy and myself have a tattoo bet that is about 15 years in counting. Who wins a Super Bowl first, Bills or Lions? Loser has to get the other team's logo tattooed. Man, that is tough, dude. Like, why would you put yourself in a position where you're going to have a Lions logo permanently on your body? Very questionable choice there, Brent. Uh, Brent's question is, what do you think? Bill's Lions, the Lions hype around here has never been higher. Can you please put my Lions friend in their place? Well, Brent, I really like the Lions. I like what they have going. I'm buying into their hype And what I I mean by that is I'm buying into their hype as being a potential playoff contender, right? I I like a lot of the makeup of what they have. They certainly have question marks with, you know, their collective pass rush, their linebackers. We get to see that come together. A lot of new pieces in the secondary. Um, Obviously, they'd love the middle of their offensive line to be healthy this year. Um, You know, we'll see. There's some young players they're counting on in some ancillary roles. Uh, New backfield situation this year. Um, So we'll see. I think that the Lions can challenge for double-digit wins. They can maybe be a contender in the AFC, NFC North and you know compete for one of those playoff spots. But do I think the Lions are a Super Bowl contender this year? I'm not there. I'm not close to being there. I think they're going to be a good football team, but thinking that it would surprise me if they won the Super Bowl this year. It wouldn't surprise anybody if the Bills did. I think the Bills are much further along. And I like Jared Goff. You know, I think he's at least a, a slightly above-average starter. But really, are you, I mean, he's going to have to outduel some big-time quarterbacks along the way to win a Super Bowl. Um, And so I think you're safe for now. I think the Bills are far better positioned to win a Super Bowl sooner than the Lions. So I think you're okay, but I think it's also okay to look at the Lions and say, I think they're going to be a pretty good football team. All right, folks, that's it for today on the podcast. We're going to close out the week with positional conversations at corner and safety as um, training camp is literally next week, right? All the players report next week. The rookies are already there. The full team shows up next week. We're going to have a ton of news to react to, Uh, obviously position battles and just a very, very busy news cycle literally coming from next week through whenever the Bills 2023 season ends. So make sure that you are dialed in and subscribed to the podcast. Would love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share it. Have a great rest of your day. Go Bills. I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.